But we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things tonight, and I wanted to uh, kind of get the kids involved just a little bit. But keep in mind that as we go through this, uh, what our real goal is is just to show everyone we can read God's Word and believe God's Word. You know, Jesus said that Moses wrote of me. So obviously it was important to Jesus what Moses might have to say through the inspiration of God, of course. You know, ten times in the book of Genesis we're told that plants or animals will bring forth after their kind. You know, today after millions of scientific observations, guess what's found to take place every single time? Kinds only bring forth after their kind. You know, Darwin, he's, he's noticed on the Galapagos Islands finches that had adaptational changes in them. Now, he didn't know at that time genetics like we know today. And of course, now we know that was caused by the loss of information. But he then thought, well, given enough time, the magic ingredient, finches would become non-finches, whatever they might dream those evolved into. But now we know today that's a scientific impossibility because kinds will only bring forth after their kind. Finches will only bring forth finches. People will only bring forth people. Pine trees will only bring forth pine trees. Never will a bird produce a non-bird. <laughs> if you saw some eggs from a, from a chicken hatch one morning, would you expect to see something like that pop out? No, I don't think so. Have you ever fed ducks at a park? Yeah. Have you fed, would you be surprised if he came sliding in among the ducks? He would take your hand right off, wouldn't he? Yeah. But that's not something we have to work at, worry about because ducks are only going to bring forth ducks. Kinds are only going to bring forth after their own kind. You know, dogs are only going to bring forth dogs. Do any of you guys have pet dogs? Yeah, you have pet dogs? I, I used to have a yellow lab. If you breed two yellow labs together, guess what you're going to get? Yellow labs, because they've lost all the other information. They can't produce anything else. But if you had a couple of mutts, they have the whitest gene pool, and you might have mutts that have puppies, and they might have any kind of dog you can imagine, but kinds will only bring forth after their kind. Dogs are only going to bring forth dogs. Never will a dog bring forth a non-dog. It's not going to happen. Do you guys think you'll ever get a golden finch retriever? It would be kind of fun, but I'm afraid that's just not going to happen. God didn't design them that way. Dogs only bring forth dogs. And tonight after dinner, I'm going to do our 50 facts versus Darwinism in the textbooks. And I'll show you fraud after fraud after fraud right out of the modern high school and college textbooks that you've all been taught. And I'll show you how to destroy Darwinism scientifically in four seconds flat. In fact, this message caused one college to launch an accredited course attacking me that they ran for at least four years. They might still run it. For all I know, I don't pay much attention to them. But you know, in the last few nights, we talked about the other pillars of secular beliefs. Millions of years is their foundation. And the foundation of old earth beliefs are the radiometric dating, Grand Canyon, dinosaurs, and the geologic column or time scale. Now, we've taken out three of those already, showing how a global flood wipes out every old earth belief. But let's talk about dinosaurs tonight. How do dinosaurs fit in to a biblical worldview? And that's a picture of my wife, Joanna, right there. Guess which one? <laughs> Dep 
it depends on how much trouble I want to get in, right? Then <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. She's the pretty one with the white blouse on. You know, think about this. People ask me quite often, well, how come God doesn't mention dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, well first of all, the word dinosaur was only invented 170 years ago. Before that, they were referred to as dragons or serpents. And dragons and serpents are mentioned more than 25 times in the Bible. You know, ancient history books are full of thousands of accounts of mankind and dragons. We call those dragon stories today. Many of them sound exactly like they're describing the dinosaurs we have discovered in the fossil record. But I think God's describing a dinosaur here when he's talking to Job. See what you might think about this. He says to Job, Behold now behemoth, which, I me which means biggest, which I made with thee. We were both made on the sixth day. He eats grass like an ox. Well, some well-meaning individuals who had bought into the secular belief that dinosaurs had been gone 65 million years before man wrote, well, hey, maybe that's an elephant or a hippo. <clears throat> Let me point something out here. Now, if dinosaurs had been extinct for millions and millions of years before man came along, there would be absolutely no evidence whatsoever of man and dinosaur living at the same time, correct? And there would be no evidence of dinosaurs living within the last 65 million years, correct? Absolutely. Let's read on further in, in the Word of God. It says of Behemoth, his strengths are in his loins and belly. He had to have strong loins and belly. Well, elephants and hippos, they do have bellies. Does anyone think that maybe is Behemoth? This guy, he's got a big belly. Anyone think he's Behemoth? Hey, listen, this is the scientific method. We're looking at all possibilities, and we're going to rule some things out, right? Now, let's read further. Behemoth moves his tail like a cedar. Is that a tail like a cedar? <laughs> cedar stump, perhaps, right? But this is a tail that's like a cedar tree. I think God's describing a seropod, like an apatosaurus or a diplodocus. Those are the seropods, or we call them the long necks. He had to have strong loins and belly to balance that long, heavy tail and that long, heavy neck and head. And he certainly had a tail that was like a cedar tree. I think God's describing a seropod. Those were the largest land dwellers that we know of that breathe through their nostrils. Now, we find all around the world cave drawings and man-made carvings of various kinds of dinosaurs. And we're told that these are anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 years old. Well, wait a minute. We only recognized dinosaur bones 190 years ago. If we only recognized dinosaur bones 190 years ago, how did people know what they looked like 1,000 to 2,000 years ago? They had to have seen them. In fact, this uh, cave drawing is found in New Mexico, and we're told it's about 1,200 years old. Now, it's a Parasaurolophus, which is a type of a duckbill dinosaur. You guys heard of that? Remember the duckbills? They all had odd crests on top of their heads. Parasaurolophus has this huge crest coming off the back of his head. See it there? Well, the interesting thing here was that he was drawn striped like a zebra. 
Well, the secular scientists who believe dinosaurs have been gone 65 million years were scoffing at this, saying there was no way he could know what it looked like. They've been gone 65 million years, although he did a pretty good job of drawing it, didn't he? Well, about five years ago, they found a mummified hadrosaur in South Dakota. The skin was mummified. It was saved. It was striped like a zebra. Oh, yeah, people saw them. They drew them. They wrote stories and accounts, historical accounts about them, and the evidence is overwhelming. In fact, in the last 15 years, more than three dozen non-fossilized, still fresh dinosaur bones have been found that not only are fresh, how could they have laid there for millions of years, they still had red blood cells, amino acids, proteins in them, and soft, flexible tissues. How could those biological materials be more than a few thousand years old at most? You know all those sedimentary layers laid down by water that make up the crust of the earth on which the old earth beliefs are based? They didn't form slowly over never seen millions of years. They were laid down by water. That's why there's sedimentary layers laid down by water, including the dinosaur remains that we find in them today. Last October, they found dinosaur DNA in some of those remains. There's no way these could be more than a few thousand years old at the most. Wait a minute now. Let's move on from dinosaurs for a minute because God tells Job of Leviathan, none is so fierce, a flame goes out of his mouth. A flame goes out of his mouth? Well, this is what God tells Job. Um, you know, we don't have fire-breathing creatures today, do we? So, can we come up with a viable theory to explain fire-breathing animals? Just a viable theory. That's all I'm asking for. Now, this is the bombardier beetle. Now, he's only a half inch long, but when he gets threatened by a spider or some other a bird or whatever wants to eat him, he can spray his attacker with a chemical that is the boiling point of water. 212 degrees Fahrenheit. You see, he was designed with two chambers that store these two volatile chemicals apart from one another. Because if he was evolving slowly over millions of years, the first time those chemicals came together, kaboom, that would have been the end of the bombardier beetle, right? But God designed him with these two chambers that keep the volatile chemicals apart from one another. And when he's threatened, they go from the storage chambers to combustion tubes where enzymes are added, causing oxidation to take place, and he sprays out a chemical that is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And he can spray this in a 360-degree pattern and hit his attacker right between the eyes with boiling chemicals. Hey, let me ask you guys something. How long does it take your mommy or daddy to boil water? A lot of time, that's right. He does this in one one-hundredth of a second. Wow, talk about awesome biblical design. Well, what in the world does that have to do with fire-breathing creatures? Well, well, what about this as a possible theory? Now, let's go back to Parasaurolophus, the duck one of the duck-billed dinosaurs, the hadrosaurs. Notice the huge crest coming off the top of his head. He was the one seen in New Mexico drawn striped like the zebra. 
Now, nobody knows what that huge crest was for. There's about a thousand different theories. The huge crest contained a complex series of passages, tubes, and chambers. Uh, the, the more popular secular theories are that, well, maybe it was some kind of a, a sword it used to fight other dragons or dinosaurs with. Or maybe it was a big nose, a big olfactory organ. Or maybe it was some sort of a trumpet used during the mating season to make some sort of a call with. Nobody knows what it was for, just theories. How about this as a theory? Perhaps these were storage and combustion chambers that stored volatile chemicals apart from one another. And perhaps when he was threatened, they went from the storage chambers to combustion tubes where enzymes were added. And perhaps when he breathed them out and they hit oxygen, perhaps a flame went out of his mouth. Hmm, it's just a theory. Oh, but wait a minute. God's going to challenge us a little bit more here because... He tells us, and we're told of a fiery flying serpent. A fiery flying serpent? Well, this is the Pteranodon. He was a, a large reptilian creature with long wings. They had different size uh, types, but usually about 25 feet across the wingspan. Notice the huge crest coming off the back of his head. Now, nobody knows what the crest was for, but it was filled with a complex series of passages, tubes, and chambers. Well, perhaps these were storage and combustion tubes that stored volatile chemicals apart from one another, and perhaps when he was threatened, they went from the storage tubes to combustion chambers where enzymes were added, and maybe when the pteranodon breathed those chemicals out and they hit oxygen, well, perhaps he became a fiery flying serpent. Hmm, it's just a theory. Now, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona, northern Arizona. Now, just north of Flagstaff's Wapaki National Monument of Native American Ruins. And on the Wapaki, we find this cave drawing of, guess what? A fire-breathing dragon. We're told this was made about 1,200 years ago. Notice the huge crest coming off the top of his head. Hmm, interesting. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys believe that dinosaurs, including fire-breathing dinosaurs, lived with man in the last few thousand years? How many of you can believe that? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the, the biblical information, the historical information, the archaeological information, the biological information, the geological information, and on and on we go, all attest to this fact. Who saw dinosaurs go extinct 65 million years ago and never been seen since? <laughs> the evidence says otherwise, and the evidence is overwhelming. I could show you 10 times as much easily easily. We could be here for hours going through just the dinosaur and man information. This is barely scratching the surface. So let me ask you guys another question. Do you think it was kind of scary to live with dinosaurs? Do you think maybe they just considered us to be fast food? Maybe not quite fast enough food? Well, the answer is no. You see, dinosaurs didn't eat people in the original creation. Now, you've got to be thinking, well, you weren't there, so how in the world would you know that? Hey, there's only one way I could know that. God's Word tells me so. You see, in the original creation, 
dinosaurs didn't eat people because there was no death, no pain, no suffering. God made plants to be the food source. Plants don't have a living soul, a nefeshkaya, the Hebrew for that. And so plants were made to be the food source. Remember, the life of the, of the uh, flesh is in the blood. Plants don't have a blood system like we do. So plants were the food source, and that's going to be the food source in the new heavens and the new earth, by the way. When Jesus gives us a new heaven and a new earth, it'll have no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, where the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb. We're going to go back to that perfect creation yet again. And, you know, some of you might be thinking, oh, man, I don't want to be a vegetarian. Well, listen, remember, we live in the post-fall, post-curse, post-flood junkyard. The new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be way beyond our imagination. It's going to be awesome, so don't worry about that. It wasn't until Noah and his family got off the ark that God told them every moving thing shall be meat for you. So it's okay to, to kill and eat meat today if you receive it with thanks to your biblical creator. Hey, have you guys ever heard of prehistoric animals? You know, did you know that giant fossils are found in the strata layers of all sorts of things? 110-foot-long cattail reeds. Today they grow about 10 or 12 feet long. All sorts of giant plants. Giant pigs and bears have been found. They're not prehistoric. They're pre-flood. The pre-flood world was much different than the post-curse, post-flood junkyard we live in today. Here's a rhino rebuilt at the University of Nebraska Museum from the bones of it that were found. It would have stood 18 feet tall at the shoulder. Today's rhinos are about seven to eight feet tall at the, at the tallest. Something different in the past. You know that they found a uh, fossilized centipede in Germany a few years ago? It was nine feet long. That would be from the edge of this banister to, to about right here. That's a big centipede. What would you do if one came crawling out from under the piano right now and just was coming right here underneath you guys? You would run, right? It would clear the room out in a hurry. You know, they have found fossilized uh, sea scorpions that are eight feet long. They found fossilized uh, grasshoppers two feet long. They found fossilized dragonfly with a three-foot wingspan. If you hit him going 75 miles an hour down the highway, he makes a convertible out of your parents' car right away, right? In fact, they found cockroaches fossilized 18 inches long. Can you imagine opening up the, the cabinet in the morning and get your breakfast out and an 18-inch cockroach jumps out on you? Wow. You could make pets out of them, right? You could put collars on them. You wouldn't need cats. You could have cockroaches. Bet your mom would like that, huh? So what in the world happened to dinosaurs? We know there's about a thousand theories. One of the most popular for the last 30 years is maybe a meteorite hit the earth or caused the dust to block out the sun, the plants died, the animals died. But you know, there's really no real evidence that that took place. In fact, in the last five years, it's, most lo it's lost the, most of its scientific standing. So they don't really have a, a good theory on why dinosaurs went extinct. I've got a, a good theory myself. I think that about 44 to 4,500 years ago, God judged man's sin with a flood of waters that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. 
And they, the ones that we find in the fossil record today are the ones that were preserved as fossils once they were drowned and quickly buried in sedimentary layers that were laid down by water to make up the crust of the earth. The few that got on the ark, there were only about 50 kinds of dinosaurs. So God only had to bring two, to, uh, two of each type. So there were about 100 of them on the ark. You know what the average size of a dinosaur was? Take a guess. Were you here this morning? Good listening. Yeah. Because <laughs> some, someone always says a school bus, and some were, but those were the seropods. But the average size of a dinosaur was about the size of a small pony. So getting 100 of them on the ark wasn't a problem. And of the handful of large ones like the seropods, God only brought two, probably brought young ones. I'm going to guess the biggest animal on the ark was a seropod, which was probably about the size of an Indian elephant today. A young one, a smaller one. They weighed less, lived longer. All the post-flood accounts of dinosaurs, the dragon stories uh, in the history books and, and the cave drawings and all, that's all post-flood. But I think uh, following the flood, they got off of the ark and they faced a new and a hostile world. They, never, they no longer had the lush forests of the pre-flood world in the tropical climates. They now have to face ice caps and oceans and deserts and winters and more and more competition with man for land, for land and space. And I think they pretty much started dying out and going extinct, pretty much disappearing about the time the historical records really started slowing down were about 800 to 1,000 years ago. Even Marco Polo, when he visited China 750 years ago, wrote of the dragons they had domesticated there to pull chariots and carts. You know, I've seen us using elephants and oxen and mules and horses and all kinds of things to pull things. I've seen dogs pulling sleds. In Tucson, Arizona, they have ostrich races. People ride ostriches. Don't ask me why. It's a southern Arizona thing. I remember, I live in northern Arizona, northern Arizona. <laughs> Yet this week, what's the very first line millions of kids are going to be read to as they go to bed in di secular dinosaur books? The very first line. 65 million years ago, dinosaurs went extinct. Those kids have just been taught death and suffering existed before Adam. Later on, you try to tell that same child by Adam's sin, death entered the world, separated us from God, and the second Adam died on a cross to redeem us with him. And they're going, wait a minute, Mom, wait a minute, Granddad. You've been reading me dinosaur books that say dinosaurs have been dead and killing things and dying for hundreds of millions of years before man came along. You see the stumbling block that's being thrown out there? That's just one of a million, but it's a big one. So anytime, kids, anytime you hear anybody start something out millions of years ago or billions of years ago, what are you really hearing? Yell it out really loud. All of you together. Once upon a time. What you're really hearing is once upon a time because a fairy tale is about to follow. All Old Earth beliefs worshipped today are based on the radiometric dating, which I showed last night, do not work. They're based on the Grand Canyon, which I've shown you how it formed in a matter of days. Even secular geologists who study the canyon admit this. And dinosaurs, and we can do a lot more on dinosaurs, believe me. And 
Where do all those old earth dates come from? The geologic column, which is a man-made drawing of sediments where they assigned ages to them in the early 1800s. All radiometric dating techniques pick a date that matches the column. The dates come from the column. This is why in 2 Peter 3, we're told in the last days, scoffers will deny there was a global flood. They have to. If there was a global flood, it explains how those layers form quickly, wiping out every old earth, death before Adam belief. The age of the earth doesn't matter from a Christian standpoint. But when death entered the creation means a lot, and old earth beliefs put death before Adam. So it's important to understand, when you hear millions or billions of years, what you're really hearing is, once upon a time, a fairy tale is about to follow. You know, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Remember, he lived in a world that probably hadn't even rained. And God tells him to spend 120 years building this huge ark because there's going to be a, a global flood that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven. Well, by faith, he moved with fear. That means with respect to the word of God and prepared an ark to the saving of his house and became the heir of righteousness, which is by what? Faith. We're supposed to have what? Faith. Faith in the word of God. Word for word and cover to cover. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. And they went in as God had commanded them, and the Lord shut them in. Now up until that very point in time, anybody in the world was invited to walk up that one and only narrow plankway through that one door into God's one and only plan of salvation from that coming global judgment. Now, God knew only eight people would put their faith in his non-compromised word and stay on that narrow plankway. Well, today, God tells us there's going to be another coming judgment by fire. And once again, he's told us how to, how to reach his plan of salvation, and it's that one narrow pathway that leads to that one door into his one and only plan of salvation. And that one door is Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ found in Scripture, who claims he created in six days, resting the seventh, judged man's sin once already with a flood of waters that covered all the high hills under the whole heaven, lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, suffered and died on a cross in our place, was buried and rose again the third day, defeating death, and now sits on the right hand of the Father until his day of return comes. Put your faith in that Jesus. He's found in the Word of God. Let me end this with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening and every dear soul that's here tonight. I hope that some of the information we just shared might be a little eye-opening for some and just to help to solidify faith in others. Uh, thank you for all the great proof you give us that we can put our faith in your word, word for word and cover to cover, your word who, by which all things were created, your word who became flesh and dwelt among us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his great name that I do pray. Amen.